Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before we go into this, I wanted to clearly state my personal views. I believe everyone is deserving of respect and the lives they wish to live. I judge not on minuscule things like the color of your skin, the country you were raised in, or the people you love. I make my assessments on others based on the actions they display during their lives and towards others. I can put myself in anyone's shoes, really, and take into consideration the negative things that have happened to you that have helped shaped who you are. But ultimately, we are responsible for ourselves, and it is our job to heal before we hurt someone else. I mean, based on my upbringing, I should be a gun-toting, woman-objectifying, homophobic, anger-fueled man. But here I am, a queer queen trying to teach people history. Thank you, universe. The opinions expressed are my own, and that does not mean that they are factual and unchanging. They are fully based on my experiences and my knowledge accumulated over 32 years in this life, as well as from a past few ones. Hello, my darlings. It is me, Joshua Waters, your not-so-evil queen. And I have a lot of strong and vocal opinions dropping on this episode of Rotten to the Core. Racists have every excuse in the book to defend their views. Just be honest, people. You're afraid. It's even alright to be afraid sometimes. But don't let your fear or ignorance make you do or say something to someone else that is just trying to get through the day. Do you honestly believe your own life will benefit in any way by casting that negativity into the world? Oh no, honey. Karma will always come back to collect. Hello, we've been trying to reach you about your soul's extended warranty. Magic mirror on the wall. Hear our cry and hear our call. Show us some of the most rotten ones in history and make them no longer a mystery. Show us so we know and show us so we grow. Take us through time and space and give us their rotten face. When I started researching for this episode, I had absolutely zero knowledge about Forrest. I will be upfront about that. I could have learned about him in school, but if I did, it is lost to me. I am just learning about him, but I can wholeheartedly say that I have no desire to repeat, reenact, or really praise this man for his rotten deeds. Let's dig into his past and educate ourselves on the whole story of Nathan Bedford Forrest. And you can make your own opinion based on the facts, not the fantasy. They don't want to erase the past. So let's inform ourselves about this man whom I believe was rotten to the core. Nathan Bedford Forrest was born on July 13, 1821, in a cabin located in what is now Marshall County, Tennessee, which is home of the fainting goat breed. 
If you've never been, Tennessee is a gorgeous state with breathtaking Smoky Mountains and part of our nation's largest rainforest. It is also the birthplace of the patron saint of harmonies, butterflies, and sunshine, Mrs. Dolly Parton. My own family migrated from there as well, from a couple mining towns. Hence why there's an occasional little twang in my voice. Nathan was the first son of Miriam Beck and William Forrest. Fun fact, the fictional character Forrest Gump's name came from this man. Mama said the forest part was to remind me that, well, sometimes people just do things that don't make no sense. Nathan also had a twin sister, Fanny Forrest, and they would be the eldest out of 12 children, and that was all before anesthetic. Here, bite on this stick and push! Bless her heart. While in Tennessee, the family lived in a windowless small cabin. They lived there until William Forrest moved them to Salem, Mississippi in 1834 to work as a blacksmith. Sadly, William would be dead by 1837 from the side effects of typhoid fever, and that would leave the 16-year-old Nathan to be the breadwinner for the large family. That is, until their mother remarried and had four more children. Not all of them would survive into adolescence, though, let alone adulthood. Five of his brothers and sisters would die of typhoid fever, leaving only a remaining 11 children. Still a hefty number. Around the age of 20 in 1841, Nathan would be working for his Uncle John in Hernando, Mississippi, before his uncle was killed during a fight with some men collectively known as the Matlock Brothers. Nathan would get his retaliation, though, and he shot and killed two of them and wounded another by throwing knives into him. One of the surviving brothers would even end up serving under Forrest during the Civil War. You killed my family, and I killed yours. But they want our slaves, so let's kill them now. Together. Ah, war. The quickest way to make allies out of enemies. Good heavens. Forrest would end up being a shrewd businessman and found success as a planter and slave trader acquiring several cotton plantations in the Delta region of West Tennessee, a couple in Mississippi, and half the rights to one in Arkansas, all at a time when slavery was booming in the South. He made success literally from the blood, sweat, and tears of slaves he himself owned. Cold facts. By the time of his death, he would have a fortune of around $1.5 million, leaving his heirs a fortune of blood money. Around 1858, Forrest would be elected as a Memphis City Alderman for the Democratic Party and would serve two terms. Now, now, now. Yes, you heard me correctly. I said Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is the oldest voter-based political party in the world and the oldest existing political party in the United States. The party's modern institutions were formed in the 1830s and 40s. Known as the Party of the Common Man, the early Democratic parties stood for individual and state rights, but opposed banks and high tariffs. During the second party system, under President James K. Polk, the Democrats usually boasted the opposition Whig Party by narrow margins. Like most successful things in history, the Democratic Party has evolved and adapted throughout time. One could even claim growth something Confederate supporters are still struggling with to this day. 
Don't tread on me. I don't know her. Nathan Forrest was said to have been a good-looking man. He was around 6 foot 2 and 180 pounds. He was known to have a striking and commanding presence and was a force to be reckoned with when angered. He was also known for his writing and his skills playing with a sword. Same girl, same. And he was also able to read and write without a formal education. It's the old rags to riches story. Except the riches were brought by the owning and forced labor of slaves. By 1845, good old boy Forrest was seeking to lay down some roots and married a woman by the name of Mary Ann Montgomery, and they had two children. William Bedford Forrest, who enlisted at the age of 15 and served alongside his father, and a daughter, Fanny, who sadly died in childhood. When the Civil War started in April 1861, Forrest traveled back to Tennessee to join the Confederate States Army. Joined by his brother and son, he joined the Tennessee Mounted Rifles as a private. And after noticing how unequipped they were, he even offered to buy the horses and equipment for them with his own money. It was fairly uncommon for someone of Forrest's wealth and land holdings to volunteer to fight, especially since major planters, such as he, were exempt from service. He must have really wanted to keep us slaves. Even with no formal military training, he was given the command of the 3rd Tennessee Cavalry, and he showed skill in his ability to lead. Tennessee is right in the middle of the country. If you're here in Indiana, we do call it down south, but it's a really good mix of both. It had more than 100,000 men joined to fight for the Confederates, and around 31,000 joined to fight for the Union. Forrest posted advertisements to join him with the slogan, Let's have some fun and kill some Yankees. The ability of some men to dehumanize those they don't agree with is just mind-blowing. Forrest's command even included his escort company, for which he selected the best soldiers available. This unit, which varied in size from 40 to 90 men, constituted the elite of his cavalry. Nathan Forrest led many men into several battles, some being unsuccessful, He was shot in the pelvis off of his horse at the Battle of Shiloh. He earned the reputation for being a capable leader and was often given untrained, unarmed men to gear up for battle. By all claims, he was a natural and accomplished commander. Being from a poor, uneducated background was no easy task. I am trying to put myself in his shoes a little bit here. I understand the time, the fear, the ignorance, and the feelings of patriotism. I can even understand having your way of life under threat and wanting to do everything in your power to keep it from being taken from you. That is where it ends, though. I understand being afraid of change, but I just don't let that stop me from growing. I get so bored when things stay the same for too long. I crave change. Just be brave and go and have fun with it. Life won't bite you. Unless you're into that, then you do you. No judgments. There are two reasons I chose Mr. Forrest as rotten to the core. The Fort Pillow Massacre and the Ku Klux Klan participation. We will start with Fort Pillow. This alone was enough to earn the title rotten. 
Fort Pillow was located around Henning, Tennessee, and was originally a Confederate fort. But after it lay abandoned, the Union took it around 1862. The fort was manned by 557 Union troops, 295 white, and 262 black, under Union commander Major L.F. Booth. This is one of the most controversial events in the entire Civil War and is still disputed to this day about what truly happened. On the morning of April 12, 1864, Nathan Forrest and an estimated 1,500 to 2,500 troops approached the Union-held Fort Pillow with the goal of destroying Union supply lines and capturing Federal prisoners. Remember that detail. Half of their main goal was to get and keep prisoners. At the time, they were a resource to attain their own captured soldiers and for future negotiations. The attack seemed to be planned very well, giving you an idea of how the mind of Forrest worked. The first death was the commander, L.F. Booth, who was shot by a sniper, leaving command to the next guy, Major William Bradford. The two armies fought until around 3.30 the same day until Bradford, who was hoping for extra support from Union boats, called for a ceasefire, while Forrest was demanding their surrender. The boats he was hoping for were blocked by Confederate troops, and Forrest stated that he would attack the fort within minutes if no surrender was given. And that's exactly what he did. They then sacked Fort Pillow quickly and with very little resistance. Major Bradford managed to escape on the Mississippi River, and the remaining troops quickly surrendered. If you don't know, in a civilized world, when an enemy surrenders, they are taken as prisoners of war. As the Union soldiers surrendered, they were fired upon by their enemies, butchering both black and white men cold-heartedly. The slaughter lasted late into the night, and there have been conflicting stories about what has truly happened. Two-thirds of the black soldiers and one-third of the white ones were killed during the massacre. Forest Confederate forces were accused of subjecting Union-captured soldiers to extreme brutality, with allegations of back-shooting soldiers who fled into the river, shooting wounded soldiers, burning men alive, nailing men to barrels and igniting them, crucifixion, and hacking men to death with sabers. These surrendered soldiers weren't treated as human beings in any way, shape, or form. They were honestly treated worse than animals. It is a real two-sided story here. The South said that the Union flag was still flying and that they didn't fully surrender. It would be hard to change a flag when you're busy dodging bullets. Just saying. Forced men even stated that the Union soldiers still had their weapons and were firing upon them. <laughs> Do you smell that? It's a distinct smell. A smell of shame and regret. It smells like bullcrap. A newspaper account from Jackson, Tennessee stated that General Forrest begged them to surrender, but not the first sign of surrender was ever given. Similar accounts were reported in many Southern newspapers at the time. These statements, however, were contradicted by Union survivors, as well as the letter of a Confederate soldier who graphically recounted a massacre. Achilles Clark, a soldier with the 20th Tennessee Cavalry, wrote to his sisters immediately after the battle, The slaughter was awful. Words cannot describe the scene. 
The poor deluded black men would run up to our men, fall upon their knees, and with uplifted hands, scream for mercy. But they were ordered to their feet and then shot down. The white men fared little better. Their fort turned out to be a great slaughter pen. Blood, human blood, stood about in pools and brains could have been gathered up in any quantity. The remaining surrendered soldiers were then marched to Demopolis, Alabama, just under 300 miles away. On April 21st, Captain John Goodwin of Forest Cavalry Command forwarded a dispatch listing the prisoners captured. The list included the names of seven officers and 219 white enlisted soldiers. According to records, concerning the fate of the black prisoners are either non-existent or unreliable. General Grant in his memoir even mentions how Forrest reports on the event had left out the part which shocks humanity to read. Because of the event at Fort Pillow, the northern public and press viewed Forrest as a war criminal. The Chicago Tribune said Forrest and his brothers were slave drivers and woman whoopers, while Forrest himself was described as mean, vindictive, cruel, and unscrupulous. The Southern press steadfastly defended Forrest's reputation. S.C. Gwynn wrote, Forrest's responsibility for the massacre has been actively debated for a century and a half. No direct evidence suggests that he ordered the shooting of surrendering or unarmed men, but to fully exonerate him from responsibility is also impossible. I can see it being true, though. I see those Confederate soldiers high on testosterone and adrenaline with the full belief in their victory in the war, taking some revenge on those poor Union soldiers. We won, boys. Now let's go get them. These were the type of men who shoot and kill for fun. I mean, I full-heartedly believe some of them were enjoying the opportunity to do what they did. I know many a veteran who has stated that they did enjoy killing. Not everyone suffers from PTSD. Some revel in the bloodshed of war. Why do you think they start them so often? I am not saying that all of them were bloodthirsty, but some soldiers are forced into brutality. But there are some who do enjoy it. The events at Fort Pillow are still debated today, and we may never know what truly happened. Was it a racism-fueled slaughter, or were Confederate soldiers just defending themselves? I believe that if the Union did lose the war, we would know from all the fanfarinades. But since they won, it's covered up by the South's mortification. Fancy words brought to you by Word of the Day Toilet Paper. Everybody poops, but not everyone has to be dumb. At the end of the Civil War in May of 1865, Forrest read his farewell address to the men under his command, enjoining them to submit to the powers to be and to aid in restoring peace and establishing law and order throughout the land. He also experienced financial losses since his business ran off the blood, sweat, and tears of slaves who were just freed. In 1866, he joined a business partner and was contracted to finish the Memphis and Little Rock Railroad. He even built a store for the thousand Irish immigrants working on the rails. A small town formed around it, and eventually locals started to call it Forest Town. Today it is called Forest City, Arkansas, the Jewel of the Delta. He was also widely unliked by the other business owners in town. I mean, he 
alienated many of the city's businessmen in his commercial dealings, and he was criticized for his questionable business practices that caused him to not pay people back like he should. He later found employment at the Selma-based Marion and Memphis Railroad and eventually became the company president. He was not successful in this promotion, as he was in war, and under his direction, the company went bankrupt. It seemed he was only successful in business when it was based on the misery of others, not actual business intelligence. Sadly, we're not done yet, though. As I mentioned earlier, there were two reasons that made Mr. Trees rotten to the core. The second is his involvement and partial creation of the Ku Klux Klan, which is an American white supremacist, right-wing terrorist, and hate group whose primary targets are African Americans, Jewish people, Latinos, Asian Americans, Catholics, and Native Americans, as well as immigrants, leftists, homosexuals, Muslims, and abortion providers, and atheists. Everything these scared people are afraid of. We all know the type who the only time they get in touch with themselves is when their finger pokes through the toilet paper. Get better heroes, people. Come on. I mean, Dolly Parton is right there. Such a good influence. The Klan was started after the Civil War by several Confederate veterans. Nathan B. Forrest, John C. Lester, John B. Kennedy, James R. Crow, Richard R. Reed, Frank O. McCord, and J. Calvin Jones in 1866. Submit to the powers to be and aid in restoring peace and establishing law and order throughout the land, were the words spoken by Forrest less than a year before. I think it's safe to say all of this was utter BS. Sort of condemning, isn't it? After just a short while, the clan grew so much that a formal leader was needed and the White Hood landed in Forrest's lap. Since he was such a successful Confederate veteran, he was chosen to lead. And the man who ordered the deaths of so many black people at the Fort Pillow Massacre was now in charge of the largest racist group in the country. James R. Crow stated, After the order grew to large numbers, we found it necessary to have someone of large experience to command. We chose General Forrest. Another member wrote, Envy Forrest of Confederate fame was at our head and was known as the Grand Wizard. I heard him make a speech in one of our dens. The title Grand Wizard was chosen because General Forrest had been known as the Wizard of the Saddle during the war. Forrest was the Klan's first and only Grand Wizard, and he was active in recruitment for the Klan from 1867 to 1868. Author Andrew Ward writes, In the spring of 1867, Forrest and his dragoons launched a campaign of midnight parades, ghosts, masquerades, and whipping and even killing black voters and white Republicans to scare blacks off voting and running for office. Really sounds like he was trying to restore peace and establishing law and order throughout the land, doesn't it? The hypocrisy is what gets me. The hypocrisy. In 1868, Forrest is reported stating that the Klan had grown to over 550,000 people in the South and was a protective political military organization. And although he sympathized with them, he denied any involvement. What is the first rule about Fight Club? 
we don't talk about Fight Club. I've never seen the movie. That's all I know about that movie. Please don't ask me about it. And Brad Pitt is shirtless in it. Enough needed. In 1871, the U.S. Congressional Committee reportedly stated that the natural tendency of all such organizations is to violence and crime. Hence, it was that General Forrest and other men of influence by the exercise of their moral power induced them to disband. Newsflash, they did not. The Ku Klux Klan is still alive and well today, underground and hidden. Sort of. As a group, they have retained some power and fear. As individuals, they are weak and scared little boys who have been bred with generations of hateful ignorance and an undeserved sense of superiority. Some snakes deserve to be tread on. After a lynch mob murder of four black people who had been arrested for defending themselves in a brawl at a barbecue, Forrest wrote to Tennessee Governor John C. Brown in August 1874 and volunteered to help exterminate those men responsible for the continued violence against the blacks, offering to exterminate the white marauders who disgraced their race by this cowardly murder of black people. On July 5, 1875, Forrest gave a speech before the Independent Order of Pole Bearers Association, a post-war organization of black Southerners advocating to improve the economic condition of black people and gain equal rights for all citizens. At this, his last public appearance, he made what the New York Times described as a friendly speech during which he offered a bouquet of flowers by a young black woman, and he accepted them, thanked her, and kissed her on the cheek. Forrest spoke in the encouragement of black advancement and of endeavoring to be a proponent for exposing peace and harmony between black and white Americans. Just a few months before his death, he attended an African-American barbecue in Memphis, aiming to right his wrongs. Forrest encouraged African-Americans to work, be industrious, live honestly, and act truly as well as declaring that when you are oppressed, I will come to your relief. It would seem like so many men nearing death brought a sense of peace to Nathan Forrest, I guess. Not long after, at the age of 56, on October 29, 1877, Forrest died in the home of his brother due to complications from diabetes. His eulogy was delivered by his recent spiritual mentor, former Confederate chaplain George Tucker Steinbach, who declared in his eulogy, Lieutenant General Nathan Bedford Forrest, though dead, yet speaketh. His acts have photographed themselves upon the hearts of thousands and will speak there forever. It is estimated that the crowd of mourners reached around 20,000 people, some of who were noted to have been black. Forrest was buried at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. In 1904, the remains of Forrest and his wife Mary were disinterred from Elmwood and moved to a Memphis City Park that was originally named Forest Park in his honor, but has since been renamed Health Science Park. On July 7, 2015, the Memphis City Council unanimously voted to remove the statue of Forrest from Health Sciences Park and return the remains of Forrest and his wife to Elmwood Cemetery. However, on October 13, 2017, the Tennessee Historical Commission invoked the Tennessee Heritage Protection Act of 2013 to overrule the city. 
Consequently, Memphis sold the parkland to Memphis Greenspace, a nonprofit entity not subject to the Tennessee Heritage Protection Act, which immediately removed the monument. Mike drop. All right, everyone, let's learn from Nathan's mistakes and not cancel any of our histories. Instead, learn as much as you can about it and make your own future into something beautiful and beneficial to others. From their darkness, we can create a new light for future generations to shine in. Thank you for joining me on this journey into the past today. I know it has been a difficult topic, but it is real and ever more current in our lives today. Stop dividing ourselves over differences and let's use them to unite us instead. I am your host, Joshua Waters, the not-so-evil queen, and this has been another episode of Rotten to the Core. Join me the next time we gaze into the past to uncover some more rotten apples who have helped shape our lives. Put some good into the world today. Y'all come back now, you hear? If you would like to stay up to date on our current episodes of Rotten to the Core or have suggestions for future ones, please follow and like us on Facebook at It's Rotten to the Core, Instagram at It's Rotten to the Core, Twitter at Rotten in History, It's Rotten to the Core.com, or listen to Rotten to the Core wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We also have a Patreon if you would like to support us at patreon.com slash It's Rotten to the Core. Check out some of our other podcasts, too, at itsarclightmedia.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.